You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for downloading this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. No Dan Killick again this week. So once again, I had another really enjoyable rugby chat with top journalist Stefan Thomas. So that is coming up very, very shortly. Uh, But just a quick reminder to make sure that you go back and have a listen to our special with Harry Keddy, the Dragons back row forward. Uh, Really good chat with him. So if you haven't caught that one, head over uh, to iTunes or Acast or wherever you get your pods, presumably the same place you've got this one, and have yourself a listen. Right, there's this week's pod. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast, another eventful weekend of action for the Welsh sides and no shortage of things for us to talk about. Squad rotation, Cardiff Blues losing in the death for a third week running, red cards, all of which we'll be getting our teeth stuck into during this episode. And there's some squad rotation from us as joining me to do this is Stefan Thomas back for his second appearance of the season. How are you, Steph? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well. You've been uh, out and about covering games this weekend? Uh, it was uh, football for me this weekend. Was it? Um, that, uh, you know, um, the dark side. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, not not most enjoyable weekend. Um, and so which game, which game were you covering? Uh, new book country against Jordan. Yeah, God. It, it feels like, uh, yeah, New Book County had taken a... Um, a leaf out of uh, a leaf out of the dragon's book and, uh, and, and yeah. getting hammered there. So yeah, good yeah, sir. It kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which uh, which sport you you support at Rodney Parade. There's always there's always the off chance of a of a hammering. So yeah, it's a shame shame that result for Newport County. Hopefully they'll bounce back. Uh, right, before we get on the way with the rugby chat, quick thank you to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Mm-hmm. Make sure you head over to SoCoffeeTrades.co.uk for not only great coffee, but you can always get merchandise cups and even reusable coffee pods now as well so make sure you do check it out right part a fact or fiction the part of the show where we have five statements and we debate whether they are true or false Uh, okay steph let's get cracking with this one just 
Three games into the season, and Cardiff Blues are on the verge of a crisis. Fact or fiction? So the, the questions are tough for this week. <laughs> um, I'm going to go fiction because crisis is a really strong word. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that there, there is there doesn't need to be some soul searching. It doesn't need to to be a bit of panic. But I just think three games. You know, you got a new coach, yep. new coaching group. Really, I just think it's way too early to be. You know, you know, to 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 label it a crisis. They were they were very good for twenty for twenty minutes yesterday, twenty minutes half hour. Mm. Then they were they were quite poor for the rest of the game. And I, you know, I I thought Zebra personally, I th- I thought they probably deserved the, to win the game. To be honest, with you. Um, obviously losing the first three games. I mean, lost to a second string Leinster side at home, uh, lost to Benetton. Um, and Zebra, it's not not ideal, but I think that there is quality in in Cardiff squad, and I think they'll get better. And you know, you, you look back to when Wayne Pivak um, a few years back when he was at the Scarlets, he lost the first three games, and then people were calling for his head, mm. and then they ended up winning the Pro 12. I don't think the Blues are going to win the Pro 12, but I think things will get better. So. I think if it's still the same Christmas time, then yeah, crisis. But I think it's a bit too early to to label it as such. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the, I suppose the the really frustrating thing for the Blues is it's been ex- pretty much identical defeats for for three weeks. Really, you know, you've had these moments of brilliance. They did a very similar thing at Leinster, where they come out at the start of the second half and looked as though they'd blown them away. Seemed to take the foot off the pedal and um, and have ended up in a you know, in that exact same position of, of throwing away a what really should have been a, a winnable game. What can you put that down to? Yes, it's a difficult one. Um, I suppose there's the only people who can actually answer it are the coaches and the players. But mm. I think first thing, you know, if the first the, the two defeats against Benetton and um, Zebra, they. Early doors against Zebra, they were quite clinical, but there, and you know, you expected them to mm. cruise to to win bonus point. They would have been disappointed if they won without the bonus point. But they they butchered a lot of opportunities, and especially against Benetton as well. You know, they, there was a number of, of occasions where they butchered like three on ones. Um, you know, where it was just simply a case of putting the ball to the hands, and they just couldn't execute it properly. They just weren't ruthless enough, um, and, and they didn't seem to have that sort of bloody mindedness that they they sort of developed at the tail end of last season. Um I don't know where the fitness is an issue. I mean, mm. you know, if you're losing the game late on like that all the time, I mean perhaps that's something they have to look at. I I don't know, but as I said, it's very difficult to put your finger on it, but the fact of the matter is, you know, they've played three one zero and um, you know, they would have expected a lot better than that. Yeah, no, they absolutely would do, especially with a you know a squad that picked up European honours last season. How do they how do they go about actually you know changing this? I know it's you're right, it's a difficult question to answer. But when you go into that game next week, if they find themselves in a similar position, how do you actually go about closing these games out? Is it purely a mentality thing? I think a lot of, a lot of sport in general is mental toughness, isn't it? Um, but they, as I said, it's difficult to put your finger on it, but they've got to learn from their mistakes. And mm. they didn't, that, that's the most disappointing thing, I think, from the first, from game one to game two to game three. <clears throat> they didn't take the learnings 
from the first two games into the Zebra game. They, they did the same mistakes over and over again, and that's the frustrating thing, and that's the, the unacceptable thing, really, I suppose, if you're a coach, that your players are making the same mistakes. Um, I think, as well, as I've just stated, really, you've got to learn from their mistakes. Mm. Um, but also, what I've noticed as well, that the, the bench hasn't really given it, given them enough of an impact. Um, I'm sure we'll get on to this later, but if you look at the Scarless game, the bench made a, made a difference. Mm. In the first, in the last two games, especially, I mean, out in Benetton, they won, they were on top in the scrum, they won a penalty try from the scrum, and I know they were down a man because Robertson had a yellow card, but they were on toast in the scrum afterwards, you know, when, when the replacements came on, and it was very similar against Leinster as well. So, um, you know, I, I just think that's something that, that they'd be wary of as well. And they need more from the players coming off the bench because at the moment they're just not getting the impact that, uh, that you need at pro level. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Let's, let's move on and talk about the Ospreys then. Uh, again, a disappointing result for them. Um, but I want to talk about the team selection. So Osprey's team selection was defeatist and the side has lost momentum as a result of the hammering in Cork. Fact or fiction? Uh, fact, I think. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned on the pod um, a couple of weeks back that the Ospreys have an excellent... Their start inside is stronger than mm. last year. They can, When they're at full strength, they could be there any side, but the depth in their squad isn't there. It's, it's just not. They're, they're really threadbare. Um, probably the weakest of all the regions in terms of depth, and I'm including the Dragons in this as well. Um, you look at the side that they sent out to Munster, that was never in a million years a side that was going to compete, let alone win. Um, and and uh, yes, they, they have to rest players, of course they have to rest players, you know, it's guys like North, Allen, Wynn. Well, firstly, they're on dual contracts, so they're limited yeah. in terms of the games they can play. But obviously, they, they play a lot of rugby. They've got a, a World Cup ahead. So, they, of course, they need to be managed. But my issue is, you know, it, it's more the fact that they, they rested all the players at the same time. Yeah. You know, you mix and match, don't you? I mean, you, you look at that side. And, and the first thing I noticed when I just looked at that side was, where's the leaders in this mm. team? There aren't any. You go out to to a place like Munster, and no matter how good a side you are, right, you can be a vintage Ospreys team, you know, like when they had, um, you know, the the Galactical period. Mm. You know that you're going to be, even if you're better than Munster, you know that there's going to be periods in the game where you're going to come under intense pressure. And in those periods, to survive those periods, that's when you give yourself a chance to win. But if you haven't got any leaders, if you haven't got a backbone in your team, then you've got no chance at all. And that's that's how it panned out, and I, I just think, yes, you know, play, young players will learn from it to an extent. But at the same time, if I was a young player and I was thrown into that situation, the first sort of feelings I would have would be my confidence would be in tatters. Mm. To be honest, I'd be thinking, well, I'm way off this level. I'm just I'm just not good enough, you know. And if you've got somebody like Arlewyn Jones next to you, then you feed off him. And I, I just think. I, I don't like to be critical. I think it was a it was a poor decision, Stalangerson. I, I think it's definitely a poor decision. And really, for, for this to be happening three games into the season, and you know, we said you know, Osprey's got off the the mark with kind of a I guess a a functional win against Edinburgh. 
uh, and then obviously ran in the ran in the tries against uh, against the cheaters. And you thought, well, this is an opportunity. If they go there and just compete, where you go, actually, yeah, we sent a, sent us. We rested a few a few players, but we gave we gave Munster a good game, even for you know even for sixty minutes. Or looking better at that, you you sneak a, a losing bonus point. Yeah. And if you're in the game, then then who knows, right? It's a tough ask to get a Munster, but you're right. That's that side was never going to have enough in it. There, there wasn't enough experience. Uh, there wasn't enough tried and tested combinations in there. And you know, and and as a result, they they really got what got what they deserved and it, it really was like um you know you you could kind of it was like a, it was almost like an anglo-welsh side you know in the days yeah. of the, the lv cup and, and sticking outside like that and and that for me is really really worrying and you just you i know the ospreys had better squads going back you know even even four or five years but they have other players that they they could have um they could have slotted in in that game and, and resting that many players, especially when you've got the, the two Italian sides coming up. And, I'm, and we're going to talk about this more, right? The, the Italian sides are massively improved and, and fair play to them uh, for doing that. It makes the league much better having competitive Italian sides in there. But when they've got those sides coming up at home, well, maybe that's the time to, to manage your, your squad rotation over three games. So you're not going to Munster getting hammered. You're pissing off all the fans and there's a load of players who've, you know, had their morale sat. Exactly, and I think as, as a journalist, obviously I, I do cover some um, Gallagher Premiership games, mm. but mostly obviously Pro 14, and I'm always sort of sticking up for the league on social media and stuff, but when when you see mismatches like that, it devalues the league and it really gives the critics oxygen, yeah. and you know again, I'm not, I'm not going to be too critical of Alan Clark because he, he's not got the riches of previous Ospreys coaches. He's, mm. I think he's a good coach. You know, I think he's, um, you know, he's clearly got a plan, right? Whether you agree with him or not. But I, I, I just think, you know, as I said just now, you know, you, you, you need to rest players. Of course you do, right? It's just common sense. But you don't do it all at the same time. If, if they were going to the Kings or something, mm. you wouldn't, wouldn't say much, would you? But going out to Munster. And, and that, a defeat like that, you know, you're all one squad, even if the best players aren't playing, and, and it, it can, it can halt that momentum a little bit. And, um, you know, it's, if they lose to Bennett, and which, you know, to the question, you know, it's gonna be a lot of Osprey's fans that aren't happy. Yeah. To be honest. Well, and as well, you know, I think we've, uh, I, I hate getting into the, the chat about attendances in Wales because there is, has been an obsession with it during the, the regional period. But, you know, the Ospreys are in that position where they're not attracting the biggest gates at the moment because, you know, they're, they're in a period of, you know, underachieving by, you know, by their standards yeah, and their kind of history. And, and you just think, you know, by putting together two wins in the first two games of the season, if they were to go away, be competitive with Munster and then go, right, OK, we've got a couple of home games, some real, a real chance to build, build some momentum. I just think it's a, it's a step back on and off the pitch for them. And, um, and, you know, you say they don't want to be too critical of Alan Clark and I completely, completely get that. But, you know, to be fair to him, he stood up after the game and said, blame me for the defeat. And, and really, I think I think that defeat happened on on Thursday when he when he made that team selection. Yeah, I agree. Right then, let's have a look at the let's have a look at the Scarlets. Um, thrilling game. Um, Parker Scarlet seemed to seem to have everything. But the question is this, or the statement rather: Scarlet's narrow win over Benetton will act as a wake up call for Wayne Pivak's men. Fact or fiction? 
Uh, fuck, probably. Um, I think they were outplayed for large periods of the game, and if Benson had had 15 men, may even have won. But I think um, what what Scarless have got that the other regions haven't got, they got some depth in their squad. Mm. Um, you saw that a few weeks back when they were missing 15 players going out to Ulster. Um, I know they lost, they should have won, but it, it was still a, a team that could have beaten most teams in the league on this day. Um, but I think I think what Scarlett have done well over the last few years, they've got instilled a real bloody mindedness, a really tough mentality into them, and they can win games without playing well. Um, because what they have got, they they got individual brilliance. But you know, I, I'm really delighted that the Benetton especially and Zebra to a lesser extent that they're they're really um, you know they're playing well and they're contributing to the league and you know. We criticised the Dragons a few weeks back, but now I'm obviously criticism still stands. But mm. Benetton are a, are a genuine quality outfit, and the Scarlets were, were bullied up front, weren't they? I mean, they they were physically outstanding against Leinster, um, but they they were found wanting in that department um, on the whole against against Benetton. And, and Benetton's pack is one of the best packs in in the Pro 14, to be honest. But Scarlets. Um, Pivot made a good point, mind. He did say that because, you know, because they obviously got further than the other regions, they got to the, uh, obviously they play more games than Europe and then they got to the, um, Pro 14 final. Mm. When, when you have routine surgeries for players, they had to put it back, um, because yeah. the season went further and obviously most of their players, a lot of them, you know, toured the Wales in the summer. Um, so obviously their, their sort of conditioning was behind. A uh, lot of the other regions and Pivak doesn't expect them to peak whatsoever until they play Racing in the first game of Europe. Um, and, and obviously, he, but he said yesterday that he expected a slow start like this. But yeah, I certainly think that it was it was a real wake-up call for them, and uh, you know, it was obviously a positive result. But um, it was a pretty poor performance, I thought. Yeah, it was one of those where they they just did enough, and over a over a fourteen-man side. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you on the, the Benetton stuff. I think it is, it's great for the league to have, um, to have an Italian side being that competitive. And I think it gives hope, you know, as a, as a Dragons fan, it gives hope to, to me that you, you can turn things around and, and, you know, with a good competitive pack. Cause again, you, you look at that, that side, it's not like there's a huge amount of players who jump out at you and you guys are, you know, a, a massive pack full of, full of, Big names. What it what it is 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 a good squad of of players who all know their roles and can all perform. So I think that's that's encouraging for for the league and for um, and actually I think you know a side like the Ospreys should be looking at Benetton and going okay you know did did Benetton look at that game and go oh well we're we're away to the uh, to the Pro 14 finalists European semi finalists you know we we definitely don't want to win this. You know, we can afford to lose it. I, I, the way they performed to me was was no, we're going to we're going to go here and we're going to give it a bloody good go. And even when they yeah, went down agree. to fourteen, so um, yeah, you know, I think there's there's lessons in it for everyone. Um, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point you make about you know because Scarlets have, I thought they were they were outstanding against Leinster, and they've kind of shown bits and pieces of the Scarlets from last season in in both the games against Ulster and. Uh, Ulster and Benetton, and I, I expect that kind of that 
fluidity to to come. Um, but yeah, there's there's no doubt it's a it's a wake up call. And again, I don't think I don't think Pivac will be. While, he, while I think he's you know he's, he's sticking up for the players and the and the tough schedule during the press conferences. I think it's going to be another tough week of training ahead um, for the Scarlets because I think he expects those those high standards. Yeah, I think like most of the game they they were quite poor, but then whenever they they show glimpses and they whenever they started going through you know a few phases and you know they they. Sh- they, they showed moments of brilliance and that was enough to really win the game but they were, they, were, they didn't really have much cohesion and they were a bit, bit disjointed but I think one one real positive for the Scarlets over the past two weeks has been forms of Lee Halfpenny yeah and he seems to he hasn't probably he's probably lost a yard of pace in comparison to his Cardiff Blues days but he's on he's on he seems to be on the same wavelength as his, uh, as his teammates mm-hmm. whereas last season he perhaps wasn't because obviously, if you've been playing for too long for so many years, the ten-man rugby is going to be a bit of a shock to the system. But you know, he created uh, you know uh, Fonatia's try. He, he's, a, he's straightened really well. Lovely offload for him to score. Um, you know, and when I think it was an instant where Benson kicked the ball downfield, but three men on him sidestepped them and uh, started a counter attack. And he's you know, and when we all know what he's like in defence, and um, obviously won him a game last week with after. For that turnover, so he's been a positive for them. I also think Fonatia has played really well for them as well mm. in the first two games. Um, but one man that I, I know we're going, going to go on to Thompson later, but one man that's played really well as well is Ed Kennedy. Mm. Um, he's only been in a professional environment about two months. Um, he's picked up from the Exos program, uh, which the WIU are putting a lot of emphasis on now. Um, from Randwick hasn't hadn't played pro rugby. I thought he was excellent yesterday. He's a he's a big boy, really abrasive carrier, gets over the game line, very dynamic and skillful. So um, he he might be um, you know somebody to watch over the next couple of seasons when it it comes to potential international selection because he's obviously well qualified. Yeah, I think in the the second half he particularly he particularly stepped up. Because if I'm honest, I, I think you know he'd had a he'd had kind of a, a tough start. Prior to uh, prior to yesterday, and I think that you're, you're right. That comes down to having not played in the in the professional environment. But as we know, um, Pivac and and Co have this this habit of of slotting those players into into the Scarlets team and and proving to be very very astute signings. So yeah, I agree. I think he's, he's certainly one to watch for um uh, for the Scarlets and. You know, you can expect him to be to be playing a, a lot of rugby for them. And right, so we've got a couple more to go on fact or fiction, and then we'll also be taking some listeners' questions, and then finally we'll be rounding up all of the other business from uh, in and around Welsh rugby in the last part of the show, and we'll also be previewing the games into next week. And all of that is coming up very very shortly. Hi, I'm Harry Keddy and you're listening to the Attacking Scrum Podcast. Right then, Steph, two to go um, on fact or fiction and we're going to talk about the Dragons now. Despite shipping 50 points, that was the Dragons' best performance of the season, fact or fiction? Probably fact. (laughs) That that doesn't... um... You know, it doesn't really mean much. They still shipped all those points, didn't they? And uh, can't can't ship 
that amount of points mm. at pro level and win the games. You know, obviously Leinster are a phenomenal side and they can do that to the best of teams, but you know, they, they were still well off the map. <laughs> Strangely, it was probably better, slightly better than the performance against the Kings and, uh, and Benetton. Um, obviously, um, Jordan Williams' try was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Uh, you know, his individual brilliance. He's, he's an outrageously talented individual. That, that was, you know, well, when, when they, they go through the, Pro 14 awards that would be right up there for try of the season, wouldn't it? Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I just think the Dragons are still too easy to beat, and they they they're just not not good enough in defence, not quite physical enough, um, and they haven't got enough of a backbone yet. It's, it's just not strong enough. And um, you look at that that try from like Jordan Williams. I mean, obviously there is talent in their squad, but on the whole, at the moment, it's it's just not, not quite happening for them, is it? Yeah, it was almost like um, the game to me looked a bit like those training sessions you'd have at school where you had the A team versus the B team um, or the first versus the seconds. And I think there were definitely some positives in there. You know, if you take the result out of it, which, you know, I suppose you have to if you're looking for positives when you ship 50 points. Um, the fact that they were able to disrupt Leinster's line-out, I think, was was encouraging, and they're going to need to do more of that against other opposition. To because I think you're right, the the physicality just isn't quite there yet. Dragons are going to have to be, you know, going to have to be smart in that regard. They're going to rely on disrupting set pieces. I thought the scrum went okay, to be fair. Um, certainly with the the first choice, um, the first choice front five on, and. Nick Cudd at the, at the breakdown is, is an absolute pest and I think him, Wainwright, Griffiths will be, will be crucial to, to slowing down ball and, and stopping sides getting over the trial. And cause yeah, I think the, the defense just doesn't look there yet. Um, again, there are a couple of visits to the 22 where you, you just think if you, if you, if you're going to be winning games this year, it doesn't matter who the opposition is, you're going to have to finish those opportunities. And you certainly don't get many of them away at, away at Leinster. Um, but the, again, the, the, the worrying thing is you, you see Halame Moss go off injured and then you, you start to really see the quality of this squad throughout the rest of the season because these injuries are, are going to take place and that's where you, you see whether people who look like good signings on paper have have come in and, and will actually make a difference to the squad. So, yeah, depressingly, I think it was the, the best performance of the season. But, you know, as we know, those those home games are, are really what's absolutely crucial for um, for the Dragons. And, they're, you know, they're, they're going to need to to keep getting better because, yeah, you, you shit 50 points against anyone and you're, you're in for a long, long season. Right, last one. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Wales now. It might be a little bit might be a little bit early, but um, let's go with this one, Steph. The stuttering start for the Welsh regions will be a cause for concern for Warren Gatland as he starts to contemplate his autumn squad. Fact or fiction? Fiction. Um, how many times have the regions been poor in the past and they still won Grand Slams? Uh, plus, there's only three weeks of the season that's been. It's far too early to to judge whether the the season is going to be a success or not on the on the regional front. Yeah, I, I obviously Gatland would prefer the regions to be doing well, um, but yeah, it's, as far as I'm concerned, you know the Ospreys have only lost one game, mm. Dallas have only lost one game. 
it's it's a long season and um yeah I, I don't think he'd be overly concerned to be honest with no I, I don't think so but it would be a nice bonus really to have a to have inform uh, you know to have inform size there i suppose the the most important thing you say there is it's it's three games into the season and I think it's when we get into that Heineken Cup stage that the intensity really gets lifted. And I think that's where Gatland really does his, uh, you know, that, that's where he really starts to have a good look at his selection. Because, you know, where you, where you have games like the, the one-sided games that we've had this weekend, it's sometimes it's, it's really hard to actually pull out how good a player is. I think once you get into the Heineken Cup that's where you can you start to be able to judge a player on on their ability to to kind of go toe to toe with the best in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know when when we get to the derbies, as you said, and the Champions Cup, that's Champions Cup is the closest to test level in, mm. in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Scarlets against Racing, for example, Cardiff Blues against Saracens. You know, if you play well in those games, then uh, you know you're you're probably international quality. You're not far off it. So Gatlin would be more concerned with those games, I think, rather than the early season, um, you know, form of the regions. But, you know, obviously he'd be a bit concerned with a, with a couple of players, but I don't think he's going to, he's going to worry too much about it, to be honest. It's, it's far too early for that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely inclined to, uh, to agree with you on that one. Let's take some questions from the listeners now. And if, uh, if you want to drop us a line with some questions going forward or just let us know what your thoughts are on what we've been discussing, make sure you get in touch with us on Twitter at Attacking Scrum. You can do the same on Facebook by liking our Facebook page and join our Facebook group as well, which is just called Wales Rugby Fans. And you can keep up to date with all the news. Uh, on Instagram, which is Welsh Rugby Attacking Scrum. Right, only a couple of questions uh, come in this this morning, um, Steph. So we've given a very very short window to get them in, but let's uh, let's get let's get into these. So again, Liam Thomas, good friend of the show, he's asked: Should Ospreys refund the fans who travel to Cork to watch them throw the towel in? Um, yeah, good good question, Matt. Um, they're not going to. So they probably should, really, shouldn't they? Because they, they did fly the white flag, really, didn't they? Let's, let's not beat around the bush. Um, it was a really weak team selection and lacked any sort of ambition. But the fact of the matter is that it's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, but I, I wouldn't be happy if I was an Osprey fan that had paid in advance to go out to Cork and to see that sort of... Uh, team roll up I, I wouldn't have been happy at all I mean it does raise that that bigger question doesn't it of the you know the the gruelling nature of, of professional rugby and needing to rotate the squad versus the loyalty of fans who who want to go and watch their side home and away it's a it's a tricky one to balance but I think like we said in in the first part of the show you know by, by putting out a side like that you know after people have presumably booked their flights and and everything as well it's not fair on the fans as much as um, as much as the players, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, um, you know, as, as I said, a lot a lot of people sort of book to go away, don't they? You know, prior to the season start starting. I mean, you know, if you're an Ospreys fan, you know, you look at a fixture and say, I fancy going up to Dublin or Cork or mm. Glasgow or whatever. So yeah, I, I think. 
yeah, I, I, as I said, if I was a paying punt, I, you know, and Ireland's expensive, uh, I really wouldn't be happy. But they're not going to, so I suppose it's pointless um, dwelling on it too much. Fair enough. Right, let's uh, let's talk about something uh, something positive, which we've we've already kind of touched upon, and this one's from Matt Armstrong. In honour of Jordan Williams, what's your favourite rather than best? What is your favourite solo try? What are the what are the ones on your uh, on your short list, then, Steph? You've probably seen you've probably seen more in club jerseys than uh, than I have, with me being a Dragons fan and you being a Scarlets fan. Um, um I think probably um, my favourite Shane Williams for Wales um, against South Africa yeah. in 2008. I think South Africa won pretty comfortably, but he, he just he got the ball down the touchline, didn't he? And he just basically beat half the team. He had no right in doing so. Um, and many of Shane's tries like that. There was one in 2004 I, I loved as well against Argentina. Yeah. Sidestepping a bit. He's fastest off a mark I've ever seen. He's just, he's just phenomenal and so Shane's up there, but maybe the sort of ultimate one was um, pro- actually probably the best I've seen. The two best. Obviously, you've got John Alumu mm. uh, in 95. There was one from Rupen Thalfau, Auckland Blues, Canada they were against back in 2003. He scored from virtually underneath his own post, his own, underneath his, behind his own trailer, went basically beat the whole team and length of the field try. So that's probably the best I've seen, but my favourite was probably Shane in South Africa in 2008. So I think that's probably my favourite because obviously I'm a Welsh son. So. Yeah, when that uh, when that question came in, um, I instantly went to YouTube to, to Google that Shane try and um, and came across... Uh, came across you know this compilation of top 10 Shane tries and and you just realized how much fun he was to watch and you know whatever whatever game it was you know even um that that game in in 2007 where we lost to to Fiji to to go out in the World Cup there's just an outrageous Shane Williams try and you just you kind of forget how much of a privilege it, it was to watch him but yeah that one in in 2008 certainly um, certainly sticks out. I remember kind of a similar one against France, possibly a year or two later, where um, again we lo- we lost them on a Friday night, and um, it was late on in the game, and he just again did one of those things where yeah. no other winger would have would have looked up and gone right. I'm going to cut completely back against the grain and and back myself to get over the line, and he did. Um, and of course, he did it on a number of occasions when. It was in a winning cause as well, so uh, yeah, you know, any Shane one. But I tell you, the one that I um, that I, that kind of sprung to mind as well was uh, was George North for the Lions in 2013, just because it was one of those kind of sat on the edge of your seat moments, and it completely kind of turned the game and and set up the series. And in those kind of massive occasions, it's great to see, you know, it's great to see a, a Welshman pull out a, a moment of brilliance. The little, fi- the little finger wag at the end probably uh, probably detracts it a, a little moment, but that was that was definitely a, you know one of the one of the all time great tries. Definitely. All right then, last part of the show. Any other business? So we've got actually plenty to talk about in um, in this part of the show. Bit of injury news to start with. So as we've already said, Halloween Moss got looks like a, a dislocated elbow. Um, we'll wait to hear a bit more on on time frame on that, but. That's uh, that's potentially another another big blow for the dragons and potentially Wales there. 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, Amos has always been a shining light to the Dragons, really, isn't he? Mm. Um, I've also he's acquitted himself really well at international level, be it on the wing or full back. And um, I thought he had a crack into it to, um, you know, to to, uh, to the States and Argentina in the summer. Um, I thought he did really well. So yeah, that that that's a bit of a blow. Um, I don't think we got that much depth in the back three in Wales, to be honest here. So to lose a player of Amos's ability that can play wing or full back is um is a bit of a blow and um, he's had a fair few injuries as well, hasn't he? So he has, yeah. it's a shame really. But hopefully he won't be off for that long. The update on, on Scott Williams, talking of kind of positions where we've we've struggled for a bit of cover over the last few years, is six to eight weeks for Scott Williams, which we covered on last week's show will be a blow for the Ospreys, but again could sneak into uh, into being a, a problem for um, for Warren Gatland as well. Yeah, I think it's a, probably a bigger blow for the Ospreys. I thought mm. he was excellent in his first two games. Um, you know, we all know how good a player he is. The Ospreys really lacked that game-breaking ability behind the scrum last season. I mean, they still got George North, so all's not lost. But that that's a significant blow for them. Um, and I think you know, for Wales as well. I mean, they, they you know he's a top-class player. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Davis is back, um, or will be back against Cornock next week, so he should be available. And obviously, there's there's hardly Parks as well. But yeah, that that's a, a big blow for the Ospreys, and not ideal for Wales either. Yeah, and then an interesting story that uh, that you forwarded on to me this morning, and that's uh, about Tyson Frizzell, a dual international with uh, with Wales and Australia Rugby League uh, has apparently been approached by the WIU according to the rugby paper and uh, he obviously played for Wales at, I think it was a rugby league world cup 2013 uh, and then went on to to be capped for the for the kangaroos as well um, am i right in thinking he plays it he would play his rugby at kind of inside center would probably be the the position you would think he would adapt to union Probably, I think it's pretty hard to go from league to union in the back row because yeah. of all the nuances of the breakdown and whatnot. It's like going from rugby to American football or something. But yeah, I think probably if he did come, it'd be twelve. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not that surprised that the WIU were after him to be honest, because um, you know, you know, we only have a limited pool of players in Wales. He's Welsh qualified. And he's he's bloody good player as well. He's mm. he's a phenomenal league player. I, I, I've watched him. You know, anybody that plays state of origin is pretty special, to be honest. And um, very physical player, explosive, gets over the game like Sunny Bay Williams esque offloading game. Um, so you know, I, I'm sure he's going to have a lot of offers. But um, the WA should should be pulling out the stops to get this man on board. He's um, and, and all four regions should be queuing up for his services as well. Like, uh, he is, he is something special. So I think that's that's a story that might rumble on uh, the next few years. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's I think he's contracted till 2020. So um, yeah. we'll kind of we'll see perhaps a, a bit more in in the longer term. But it does raise that that question and about moving from from league to union because it's it's never a it's never an easy thing there, is it? You know, for every um, for every Sonny Bill Williams, there's there's plenty of uh, you know there's plenty of was the the lad Tompkins or Henry yeah. Paul or you know even even kind of Yeston Harris struggled you know all of whom were phenomenal uh, phenomenal league players but I think it is those nuances isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it depends on the environment you're in as well. I mean, Burgess would have been a success in Union if if he'd been managed properly. Yeah. So would Benji, Mar- Benji Marshall have gone to the Chiefs or the, or the Crusaders rather than uh, a struggling, mismanaged Auckland Blues side. Then he probably would have done a lot better in Union. So, you know, if Frizzell is going to come and play this code, and let's, let's not forget as well, right? Australia, the Wallabies would be all over that as well. Yeah. You know, that, just because he's going to Union doesn't mean he's going to play for Wales. I mean, Australia are going to be desperate for his services, maybe the All Blacks as well. So, you know, the WIU are probably going to have to dig deep into their pockets if they want this bloke to, to be playing Union, um, for them, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's never any, that's a problem. You know, you, you pay a lot of money like with Burgess and Yeston Harris and there's never any success. Uh, any guarantee of success? I, I don't think Yeston Harris was actually a failure. Actually. No, he, he played quite well, but he could have been better, couldn't he? Really, if yeah. he was managed properly. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I, I'd, I'd love, love to have Frazel playing uh, his rugby in Wales. I think that'd be a bums on seat sort of signing, and um, I think he, he could go really well if, if managed properly. Yeah, I think you're right that the, the management properly and, and ending up at the right team is, is absolutely crucial. So I fully expect to see him playing in the second row for the Dragons in 2020. Uh, right, let's have a look at uh, the fixtures next week then. Some uh, some pretty crucial ones in there for the for the Welsh regions and arguably none, none more so than Cardiff Blues at home to Munster on Friday night. What, uh, what are you feeling about this one, Steph? Um, I think it's a must-win game for the Blues, to be honest, isn't it? Um, losing four in the trot, including two home games, will be pretty poor. I don't even use the word crisis, but it mm. will be poor. But Munster, you know, they're on form. Uh, Carberry gives them a lot more X-factor behind the scrum, doesn't he? He's really hard or something. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go for an arrow Munster and yeah, I, I feel, do you know what, I feel like it could be another, another repeat. I, I think, you know, Cardiff Blues have shown what they, they're capable of doing in attack and, um, and I think that there's going to, there's going to be moments because I think those, those, some of those players just have that individual brilliance to, to cut open a defence and, and I think they'll score tries, but I have this, I have this horrible feeling that again, Munster are just going to prove to be, prove to be too strong and I think it, it might be, uh, None from four for the Cardiff Blues, which is a, yeah, a really worrying start for them. Um, Connors play the Scarlets. That's uh, that's out in Galway. Can you see any any problems for the Scarlets there, or are they walking away with maximum points? I see problems for them. I think Galway is a difficult place to go and win, and Scarlets need to play a lot better than they did against Benetton. But um, you know, I assume there'll be a bit of a kick up the backside for them. They'll have a couple more players back from injury, so I'll go for a Scarlets win there. They won't be easy. All right, and talking about must-win games, would you put Dragons at home to Zebra in that category as well? Yeah, and I think it's going to be a tough game as well. Uh, I think Zebra played well against the Blues. Um, and, and, you know, they've they got a decent pack and they stand to play a bit of rugby now as well, but uh, Dragons are at home, so I think they scrape through. Do you know what I think is going to be crucial? I, I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think, again, Zebra will be uh, will be um, definitely buoyed by that victory over uh, over the Blues. Like you said, decent pack. They played, so, yeah, played some interesting stuff. You know, I thought I thought Canna was a, a box of tricks every time he every time he got the ball um, against the Blues. So I think it's going to be a tough game. But something Dragons have to do is they have to be clinical when they get 
when they get penalty opportunities as well. I think we saw it against we saw it against the Kings. We've seen it against um, against Benetton as well. We need to kick goals, you know. In in games where it's important that you come out with a win and you're not going to waltz the bonus point victories, which I think is going to be a long way coming for for the Dragons, you need to just keep that scoreboard ticking over. And that's something that's that's been a bit of a, a bit of a concern to me. Josh Lewis's kicking was a was a bit erratic in, in some of the previous games. So I think things like that are going to be very, very important. You know, you've got to be clinical with your goal kicking and when you make those visits to the twenty two, you've got to be coming away with points. Yeah, absolutely. And uh... You know, as we saw against the Kings, really, I mean, the Kings should never have been close to them. Yeah. The Dragons just failed to control the game. They weren't ruthless at all. And that that's what they need, really. They they need to apply the same level of pressure, but be clinical. Because, um, like I said, they're better than the Kings. Oh, yeah, I, I, I undoubtedly think they are. Right, Ospreys versus Benetton, the final game of the weekend. Uh, bounce back for the Ospreys or another very, very tough game? I think it's going to be very tough. I think it's going to be a tight game because I think Benetton are a serious outfit. I think Keevan Crowley is one of the best coaches in this in this league. Conor O'Shea raves about him, um, and I, I you know I think physically they're going to really pose a big challenge. But I think the Ospreys need to win this this game to justify Clark's selection. So I'll go narrow Ospreys win, but uh, I think it will be pretty narrow. Interesting point they raised um, about, um, well, actually, just, just mentioning Conor O'Shea there. We've spoken about the improvement of, of both those um, both those Italian sides. You know, obviously, it's been mentioned a number of times that he's been pretty hands on with with wanting to improve the level of um, the level of club rugby in Italy. How much kind of credit can you can you give to? To Conor O'Shea for for what he's for what he's done overlooking that that setup in Italy. I think he's, you know, we haven't necessarily seen the results at test level, but I think previous coaches would have just concentrated purely on coaching the side, mm. the national side. But I think Conor O'Shea is looking at the whole picture. Um, you know, he wants the wants Benson and Zebra to be really strong. I know he was instrumental again, Keenan Crowley. And Michael Bradley on board, who are two quality coaches, um, Crowley especially. So, you know, and, and he, he wants to, you know, Italy at his grade level have, have improved. I mean, they beat Wales in Wales for the first time ever last season. Uh, some will say Wales were poor, probably were, but still Italy are on the, on the right track and he's, he's trying to build some real depth in Italian rugby and I, I think we may not see the benefit of his work while he's there but I think in the long run I think he could probably arguably be the best thing that's happened to Italian rugby yeah I think you could well be right and it's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting and, and like we've said you know it's it's good for the league to have competitive Italian sides and it'll be good for the Six Nations if that if that translates into uh, into the Italian test side as well, right. That brings us to uh, to an end for for this week. Uh, we've got a special episode next week as uh, I'm away in uh, in New York and Dan's away as well. So what we've uh, done instead is we're recording a special uh, as we catch up with Will Taylor, uh, who's a prop forward at the Ospreys and Wasps, and uh, we'll actually walk away from the game in his in his mid twenties, and uh, we talk to him about his decision to leave the game while still in his prime. 
talk to him about sharing a flat with Stephen Jones and T.R. Thomas and ultimately about him rediscovering his love of rugby. So don't miss that one out next Monday. Steph, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Great to have you back on again. And we'll be back to talk rugby with you again very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.